listening to Soul Search Podcast with Ava and Marcella, a podcast dedicated to exploring mental health issues in relation to race, identity, and culture. Yeah. All right. Hey, everybody. We are back. Hi. <laughs> yes, yes. It has been a minute. Um, since we've recorded but you know we just kind of as y'all know how we handle this we are very yeah. much, very laissez-faire as our Louisiana people may know um, <laughs> when it comes to how we put this here thing together um, but we are here to continue our conversation yes. around trauma and this is the fourth episode right yes this four. is the fourth this is number four and the emphasis on this one is going to be generational trauma considerations with all of that, because once again, as you know, we like to tackle a good broad um, Mm. topic, Mm. something that's very multifaceted and, um, you know, comes with a lot of questions that need answers and thorough investigation on our end. Um, And then just bringing the idea to you to give you an idea of what, you know, to think about when it comes to, intergenerational transgenerational however you want to put it trauma Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. so to start we are going to look at what that even is yes okay let's look at the definition let's get real scholarly right now (laughs) (laughs) so So, and and we talked about this before just to give you an idea we may use the term intergenerational transgenerational Mm -hmm. simply just generational Mm -hmm. um per our own investigation it seems like the terms are interchangeable but um people just have their I guess preference on how to how to label it so Mm -hmm. I found a really good definition on a Duke article um that covered you know intergenerational trauma and so it says Intergenerational trauma is a concept developed to help explain years of generational challenges within families. It is the transmission, there's the transgenerational piece right there, or sending down to younger generations of the oppressive or traumatic effects of a historical event. And with that Mm -hmm. being said, historical event can be on a grand scale or it can be on a smaller scale as far as like, you know, family. Um, Mm -hmm. on a grand scale, like one of the definitions, and as we've discovered, Marcella and I, Mm -hmm. a lot of the research surrounding generational trauma is based around like genocide or Mm -hmm. like, like traumatic, hugely traumatic events that occur within Mm -hmm. communities. Um, you know, hugely oppressive situations that occurred historically, things that we've learned about you know, Mm -hmm. in school, like in grade school, in high school, um, in college, in our history classes, those large events that are always covered. These are Mm -hmm. things that, you know, we talk about in the class where it's like, okay, this is what happened. Um, It was detrimental. It was horrible. But then thinking about it, there are all of these smaller systems within that large system, a community of people who are oppressed. And then Mm -hmm. you've got their families who are dealing with the effects from that. And then all the effects that come from that. Um, For example, in the Duke article, they discussed a great grandmother 
who was placed in a concentration camp in Germany may have learned how to cope by cutting off her emotions. Mm-hmm. Because of this, grandmother may interact with her family in an emotionally distant fashion. Mm-hmm. So it's giving, you know, of course, grand. This is a very traumatic event that she experienced. Mm-hmm. How is this going to affect her daily life? Right. So that's the gist of it. And I know we've been yeah. seeing a lot of talk about generational trauma on like social mm-hmm. media platforms and it's more discussed, you know, nowadays. And after some research, when did you say it was, Marcella? Like the early 2000s? Well, and, and so it seems like there's a few different articles kind of citing different times. Um, it, I think a lot of it is coming forth within the last 20 years. Mm-hmm. Um, Sorry, my dog just entered the room (laughs) Um, within the last 20 years, but it seems like it was kind of really first focused on in the um, 1960s. Yeah, the 1960s. Um, Yes. And um, when they started studying, you know, Holocaust survivors and um, their children and how their children were um, managing mental health issues. So, you know, if the um, kind of there was a study that was going on that was noting that um, Holocaust survivors' children um, had a higher rate of being diagnosed with a mental health issue. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, the conversation back in the 60s looked a bit differently, but it seems like that's when the um, coining of the phrase or looking at this notion of trauma being passed down kind of became, you know, started coming forth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so this is something that, of course, kind of like a lot of things that are being talked about now in the world when it comes to mental health and historical I guess, facts, whatever, however you want to put that. Um, It's been going on forever. Like generational trauma is something that Mm -hmm. just happens to humans. Mm -hmm. It's just a lot more awareness surrounding it now. And there's like a label for it, you know, Mm -hmm. like this is what I can call it and this is how it can be Mm -hmm. treated or this is how it can be healed in a way. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, it's a, like like we said, like most things we talk about on Soul Search, it's it's very big, but it's also yes. something that can be discussed. I think it, with a brevity that that helps, you know, for us to understand what's going on. Um, so yeah, let's see. I guess looking at those larger things first. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So as we mentioned, like concentration camps mm-hmm. back in the day. We learned about that, like I said, in school, mm-hmm. but really getting down to the effects that that had on people. Yes. Um, yeah, I think, and that's where it seems a lot of the conversation lies, at least in the articles I've read. It seems like the discussion surrounding tra- transgenerational trauma is a lot of the studies focused on the Holocaust and Mm. focused on how, you know, Jewish people were affected or anyone. I mean, it wasn't just Jewish people who were in those camps, but that's where the focus really lies. Um, And so, but also I think part of the conversation is also um, they talk about Rwanda and what happened in Rwanda. Um, They talk about like political um, distress, like in Ukraine and Russia. Mm -hmm. Um, They mentioned, of course, slavery in America, Native American issues in America, you know, them, um, you know, the generational trauma that has happened there. Um, So it's very, I mean, there's a lot of different big picture, high level things we can look at 
that would lend to the idea of trans transgenerational trauma. Um, I think the studies, it seems, are limited at this point. Um, but of course, I think people are beginning to note how, how these big picture, big scale events trickle down into the daily lives of people, kind of like you mentioned earlier. How does this affect one person's daily life and how they parent their children and how mm-hmm. those people parent their children and just kind of how these things are conceptualized within the family mm-hmm. or are, you know, or maybe they're just ignored and that kind of plays a role as well. I'm glad you said that. Cause we did, we did discuss the idea of um, secrecy in a way, but also mm-hmm. just like, that's kind of a common way that people tend to cope. Like that example I read where it's like, I'm essentially, I know this happened, but I'm in denial about the effects that it has on me. So I'm just going to keep trucking and keep going through life and figuring things out as best I can. Um, Because a lot of the time, you know, in, in many situations, if we look at tons of examples, you know, even today, media coverage months, maybe we're thinking about it. And then what happens? We just stop Mm -hmm. thinking about that. Like, you know, if it's not something that personally affects you, And so just imagine how folks feel when they're going through something traumatic heavily within their community um, and within their culture. And then they're, you know, faced with it every day. But then you're like, well, they stopped talking about it a lot. I've seen that happen Mm -hmm. with a lot of people where it's like it's not really talked about as much. Let's just keep on moving. You know, I have things to do. Um, And Mm -hmm. I think that's a lot more common within past generations where Mm -hmm. it was kind of just that's what you do. You just tough it out yeah um because a lot of folks don't really know what to do they're doing the best they can with what they have but it's important to keep in mind you know things can change and I think that's Mm -hmm. the big conversation that's why it's being brought up a lot that's where I see it um on social media and just in my Mm -hmm. own work people coming in and saying I've experienced generational trauma within my family or this is something that's present within my family And then you learn of a bunch of different things that affect that, like poverty or Mm -hmm. abuse or, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe it is something to do with their culture or something that happened Mm -hmm. within their race, within their community. Um, Mm -hmm. Hate crimes can be a part of that, you know, just like racial, racial trauma, things like that. Um, Mm -hmm. But then you have these really, really big things that happen and some people experience all of them. You're experiencing like five different sets of things that have happened. And another thing that I found that was interesting, they brought up like epigenetics and the fact that like when you're a woman and you haven't produced a child yet, even with men, you know, and you're, you're, you're walking around, you're facing a lot of different adversity and trauma is being thrown at you left and right. Mm -hmm. There is a high chance that that's going to be something that could be transmitted to your children. Right. And that's so fascinating. And it seems like they're still um, kind of building up the conversation surrounding that. But they talk about, you know, how your grand like, okay, when for a woman or, you know, a young girl, when she's in utero developing as a infant, she Mm -hmm. has all the eggs she's ever going to have. And so your grandmother is essentially carrying the egg that will produce her future grandchild and so depending on what type of stress or trauma that grandmother is going through Mm -hmm. um that could have 
that could affect the grandchild, the future grandchild. And um, it does affect the, I mean, if trauma changes the brain, think about it, it changes how we, you know, our cortisol levels, our hypervigilance and all, I mean, you know, we've talked about on so far, you know, the body keeps the score, our body yeah. houses all of this. And so this is absolutely, I mean, how could it not affect the way, you know, our children develop within us? And then, of course, environmental factors once they're born, you know, are they being born into um, a, a, a very stressful environment or yeah. um, maybe, maybe the environment's better, but, you know, we still were are in a fight or flight, you know, state of being, and they're affected by that. So maybe they're going to be um, anxious and, and maybe some people would not know why, but because of this generational, you know, intergenerational effects, um, maybe it's informing some of that. For sure. That is like, that, that is the one of the most fascinating pieces, I think, to me, whenever yeah, I was reading about that, that part, because you hear folks, like I've heard people say that in the past, you know, like mm -hmm. what you're doing while your child is, in utero mm -hmm. <laughs> it, it means everything but yeah. then considering going back and taking it a step further you know your mom what she yeah, was going through goes to you and then back and back because and back and back all the way <laughs> yeah it's wild but it, it makes total sense because our, yeah, yeah. Our, the complexity of us as humans my goodness um yes and so just imagine when you're going through something life-altering mm -hmm. and all the things that go along with that, like we've discussed in, in the past couple episodes where we've covered the effects of trauma, just, just yeah. how trauma shows up in your body, like Marcella said, and how it changes how you perceive everything. So of course, you're, you're navigating the world as best you can mm -hmm. after something happens like that. And we don't necessarily get a guidebook on how to, how to handle things after we deal with trauma, because I don't think it's something that we, we learn. And so a lot of people go through these things and they're just figuring it out as they go. Right. And I liked how earlier you brought up kind of like the cultural component of this too, because, you know, when I think of intergenerational trauma, it's, I, I do, I tend to think of the more big picture stuff, you know, I think mm -hmm. partially too, because like I went, like my family went through a natural disaster. So like yeah. that did shape the way I view the world and it's probably going to shape the way, you know, I parent my children and, you know, so there's going to be some type of effect from that. But I love that you brought up the cultural piece. Cause I actually follow this Instagram page. Um, and it's all about breaking like cultural kind of, um, stereotypes within like Latin culture. Mm -hmm. Um, so like kind of like they call it like chocolate culture, like hitting your kids with this, you know, that stereotype of hitting your kids with the slipper and like kind of like these abusive um, or what now is perceived to be abusive tendencies, um, like spanking your children or shaming them or, you know, kind of having these cultural familial ties mm -hmm. um, that now are perceived to be really toxic. And um, so sometimes it's not even about, oh, the, the, you know, my people were enslaved or tortured or refugees. Um, obviously Latin culture does have like a um, like colonialization trauma, you know, that, that plays a big role in that culture, but it's also bringing forth of like what's happening now within the culture and how can we break that? Because that can be traumatizing for children. Um, does that make sense? I know it that does. is often discussed too in Black culture as well, mm -hmm. of like, you know, spankings or just like these kind of um, 
familial messages that um, are across the culture of like loyalty to the family or respect within the family and what that looks like, um, mm-hmm. even though it may not be in the healthiest of ways. And I could see how that, you know, be, that being passed on generation to generation to generation um, can be harmful. Oh, absolutely. It makes me think of this TikTok. <laughs> we are such millennials. It makes me think of this TikTok that I saw where this this guy, you know how people, is it called stitching them together? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So there's this gentleman that does this thing where he's like, um, it's to the Adams Family song, I think. Yeah, um, I know what you're talking about. Oh, yeah, I know what you're talking about. You know what I'm about. talking yeah. about? It's this guy yeah, and he's like, like, if you say yeah. something, something, that's abuse. Yes, yes, yes. And then this black man shows up and he's like, let me tell you. And if you're black and you disagree, listen up. This is why Mm -hmm. this is not something we should be doing. This is why we do it. This is why it's something that's passed down. It's so many different things that he brings up that I remember when I watched it, my eyes got big and I'm like, wait a minute. Thank you for this, sir. Once again, something that we don't necessarily think of the origins of why we do certain things within our cultures to cope, to figure things out, to to navigate this this world, to raise our children. It's all these different things that we don't really think about the origins and the origins oftentimes are based in trauma. Right. Because I mean, and I don't know all of the nuances, but I would imagine like, you know, okay, strictness within us. And that's such a stereotype for like, mm-hmm. um, uh, cultural minority families, like, you know, um, yep. I know, Asian, um, Asian people have the stereotype of like, tiger moms and like really strict parenting and like Latin people have the same. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I know black people as well. Um, and of course like Arab people, all these different things. And this happens in white families too, but like within like ethnic minorities in America, we have these stereotypes. And I wonder how much of that has been informed by, you know, Hey, if you're acting up in the streets, guess what? That could result in you getting, um, pulled over by police or getting arrested. And so like the strictness comes from a place of like hypervigilance and safety, but it's ultimately being, um, can be traumatizing too, because you're creating distrust within your child to not trust the system around them, which may be in some ways very valid, but also is creating these other issues. Mm -hmm. Um, And then it just trickles on, trickles on, trickles on, trickles on. Oh yeah, it's a a repeated experience within many cultures where Mm -hmm. your parents did things this way, so you're gonna do Mm -hmm. them that way. And, And then your children, like, a lot of us are that whole reparenting conversation. A lot of the things that folks are trying to reparent, I'm noticing, are based in their parents' mm-hmm. reactions to their own trauma and kind of like putting that within, putting that into how they raise their children. And then the children mm-hmm. become adults and they're like, I don't really know if that was something I necessarily needed or my mom was this helicopter parent and mm-hmm. now I don't really know how to get, navigate my life on my own. And mom may have been a helicopter parent because she's mm-hmm. gone through something where she was neglected maybe, or yeah. she, it, it's so mm-hmm. many different layers to it and figuring mm-hmm. all of that out is a big job. And, you know, plugging therapy, mm-hmm. oftentimes it's hard for us to see these things on our own, or it's very overwhelming to look at it by yourself. And so having the help of a therapist mm-hmm. or some type of like mental health, you know, mm-hmm. professional sitting down and talking to them and helping them help them helping you to sort through it 
like letting right. them know, honestly, this is what I observe. This is what I know. This is where I get this from. Okay. How do I fix it? Mm-hmm. Um, or how do I work through this? How do I navigate yeah. life moving forward? Yeah. Because you can't, I mean, you, I hate the word fix. <laughs> I don't care for that right. word because mm-hmm. there's, you're just working with what you got. And so yeah. having the help of someone to guide you through it and figure out how to, you know, make decisions in a way that feels more congruent with what your values are, not necessarily your parents' values, mm-hmm. um, but also keeping in mind and understanding there's a reason. A lot of my clients, I don't know if you do this, Marcella, but it's something I do often here lately, especially um, whenever clients start bringing up things about their parents. Mm-hmm. And I get to a point where rapport is built and they've expressed this to me about over like four sessions or so. And they're just like, yeah, my mm-hmm. mom did this or my dad did mm-hmm. this or my grandmother does this. I'll ask them like, what do you know mm-hmm. about her experience, his experience? Mm-hmm. What do you know about their life? And they'll sit there and be like, I mean, she went through some things. Mm-hmm. And so we'll talk about those things mm-hmm. and just to help them understand mm-hmm. the personal, you feeling personally attacked by this. Okay. Valid. But at the same time, let's consider what they're working with and how they're navigating their lives through the trauma that they've experienced. Yes. yes. That to is kind so of alleviate. Yeah. You, like, uh, you do. And that's what they assume. Say. Yes. Well, mm-hmm. it's, it's, I think, especially for young people, you know, it's, it's, easy to kind of sum up the the way our parents or other family members are just oh they're just that way you know they're just mean don't care they don't care about Mm -hmm. what I think they don't care about how I feel you know that's so easy and of course that's more of a black and white take on it you know Um, we tend to do when we're teenagers and Mm -hmm. you know young adults Um, but context absolutely matters and they talk about like you know in addressing transgenerational trauma bringing all of that to light, like you said, like, like getting more information on, you know, how were your parents parented? What did they go through? Did they have an abusive experience? Um, Even if they didn't, you know, were they bullied? Were they in, um, did they grow up in poverty? Was there substance use? All of these things help us get an understanding. Does it fix maybe what they did? No. Does it take away the pain? No. But having that information can empower us to say, oh, okay, that w- that's possibly what was going on. That makes sense. Let me not repeat that cycle and let me heal mm-hmm. what, was, what, what has been hurting. Absolutely. Um, yes, I yeah, love it. I talk about that all the time. Um, because, you know, too, and I don't know if you notice, notice this as well, but a lot of my clients, when we talk about parents, Oh, it can be so difficult because a lot of them still, even if they're angry or hurt, they still deeply love their parents mm-hmm. and they don't want to speak badly or poorly about them. And I have yes. to really normalize like, hey, we're not bashing mom. We're not bashing dad. I know you love them, but let's look at like what's going on here. And we can have both. We can have mom and dad didn't get me all of your needs, but they also did their best and you love them very much. Like we can have both of those things. Oh, yes. Yes. Both Mm -hmm. can exist. Like you have to look at both ends of things and understand that there's a place that they meet in the middle and that's Mm -hmm. okay. And I think that's what's hard for us is like um, this ugly piece in the middle. That's like, Ooh, how do I even, how do I even like, how do both of those things exist? 
And how can I healthily handle them? How can I have feelings toward this person that Mm -hmm. I absolutely adore who, who took part in creating my life Mm -hmm. or, or raising me because sometimes it could be like a grandparent or, you know, another caregiver. Um, And you're, you're trying to figure out how to have both of those sentiments exist at one time Mm -hmm. and it's very Mm -hmm. normal for that to be the thing we are complex individuals you you probably see things within your very best friend who you love dearly where you're like "Eh." and that's Mm -hmm. okay right you know like that's that's what it is to be human and so that's that's the biggest piece is just understanding that people have a story and there's a reason Mm -hmm. as to why they navigate the world the way that they do yeah always and so keeping that in mind with people that you love and then also knowing I love what you said a minute ago about like how can I do this differently because it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to like okay now I understand so I agree with what she did no you can still disagree you can still dislike it you can still be hurt by certain things but understanding that you can navigate the world differently like breaking Mm -hmm. those generational curses or however people put that that's something that you can do um it's really hard work but yeah it can be done yeah and that's I think what a lot of us are that's why this has been something that's been coming up so much is like a lot of folks are reworking and reparenting and understanding how to how to change things and so they get into this space where you in order to change something you have to be able to acknowledge the problem and so acknowledge Mm -hmm. it understand be knowledgeable about it um have a firm awareness in it and then you can really look at it and be like hey this is what it is sitting in front of me how do I make this look the way that I need it to and what's so interesting like as we're talking about this like what's coming to mind too and they talk about this in a psychology today article titled breaking the chains yes Um, I love that one Mm-hmm. And they were talking about, okay, so not only can like trauma be passed down, but like resilience as well. Mm-hmm. And kind of like that process is sharing the experiences like with like, like, you know, grandparents sharing their experiences with their grandchildren or, you know, parents sharing their experience with their children and kind of creating this open dialogue and acknowledging like what has been lost or what has been gained. And um, I think they're also, they like also frame it in kind of like a cultural context. So like, you know, for Native Americans who so much of their cultures have been taken away from them just over, you know, mm-hmm. hundreds of years, you know, resilience can still be passed down by keeping those cultural ties and you know relearning languages or practices and um kind of you know maybe forming either like uh rebuilding old traditions or forming new ones that tie like you know tie you to your culture and your family so you know as much as trauma can be passed down resilience and kind of an openness and honoring of like what has been lost can also be passed down, which is really cool and beautiful oh, yes. and probably part of the healing process, you know? Mm-hmm. That's what I've seen too. And I, I, I loved that article. I meant to bring that one up before we started recording because yeah. I think it covers so many different aspects and it's, it's framed in a not so like all negative, all struggle way. Um, yeah. I really love what it says about like communicating about mm-hmm. what happens like instead of like yeah. we kind of getting to that sentiment or the the idea of like keeping things in 
and, and just kind of toughen it out. You don't really have to share with your children what it is that happened to you or share with the people you love what it is that you've gone through that has been traumatic on a personal level or even a community-based level. Mm-hmm. Um, it's an article, Braga, Braga, Braga. It's probably Braga. Mm. explored how open and loving communication styles between generations help foster resilience and connectivity. Mm-hmm. So it's like when you talk about it and you're openly telling your story and it's mm-hmm. not something that you let them know, like this is, this is me. Mm-hmm. It's my, no, it's my story. This is what mm-hmm. has happened. This is how I've coped with it. Um, mm-hmm. Or, and even if you're in the middle of learning and healing, like that's a really beautiful mm-hmm. thing too. We're letting, letting the people in your life know that you are in the midst of trying to figure things out. And that's okay too. Like you don't have to have all the answers when it comes to your trauma. It makes me think of bridging the gap between like that individual work and, mm-hmm. and what we're talking about today, the transgenerational trauma. Cause we've talked about, I think previously of like being able to tell your story in like a regulated body. And mm-hmm. like that's the goal of some of that trauma work, right. Of being able to kind of revisit these experiences and your cortisol levels, your stress levels are regulated and manageable because you've you know done this therapy work or you've done these trauma interventions right and so how beautiful if like someone has done their work is able to tell that story and then able to share that with their children and that to me is like passing down that resilience you know we yes wouldn't that be so beautiful and I'm sure that happens you know I think but I also think too you know I know my grandfather he was in world war ii he was a pow a prisoner of war apparently never talked about it. Like we have very limited knowledge of, I think maybe once, I think once mm-hmm. he shared with my dad, you know, what happened where, cause I think my dad was like, you know, we kind of need to know that about you. Um, mm-hmm. And I think this was later in life, you know? And, but, but, so this is a new thing. People in those experiences often didn't talk about it. Maybe it's somewhat acknowledged, you know, or kind of like, yeah, that happened. But older generations, I think for them, it, it, they kept things quiet because to them, it was resilience. It was strength. And see too, how it was kind of like, like you brought up before a secrecy maybe, or maybe it's like, they didn't want to open those emotional floodgates. They didn't know what it was going to bring up. Or it's a burden other people. That's another one too. And we didn't have access mm-hmm. to therapy in the way mm-hmm. that we do now. Therapy was not normalized. Probably only elite, you know, people with money yep. could access that. And it wasn't until, you know, probably the last, I don't even know, 20, 30, 40 years. Uh, they talk about Vietnam veterans getting that exposure to EMDR, which is beautiful. Um, but until more recently, is this kind of being able to be brought to light without that shame? Absolutely. It's all over the place. I've been yeah. seeing that like, okay, when you brought that up, it made me think of a part of This Is Us. For those of you that watch the show, I know a big piece of it all is them learning. The kids, so of course their dad, Jack, mm-hmm. is deceased. And mm-hmm. they're learning, mainly Kevin, that's his name, right? Kevin. I don't know. One of the twins. <laughs> One of the okay. triplets, the the one, you know, yeah, they're their biological children. The biological son. Okay. Yes. He has learned things over time about his father's time in combat. Things mm. that his dad did not share with him. Mm-hmm. So he's like learning it 
through talking to his uncle and stuff in the show mm-hmm. and and he I think he actually played a role because he's an actor on the show um okay. his character is an actor where he had to be he was a soldier and so he's he experienced this whole visceral thing where he's like my dad went through things like this and it actually happened and he never really told us about it like that mm-hmm. and so that's another, like that I mean they're supposed to be in their what 30s or 40s or something now on the show so this is something that was happening back in the day before he even got married and to their mom and he kept it all in because he suffered through that and then he also the dad's character is a great example he um he went through verbal and physical abuse at the hands of his father he also watched his father be abusive toward his mother um and the whole time I'm watching the show I remember telling my mom my mom couldn't stand the grandfather the their dad's dad's character Mm -hmm. she's just like oh he's just raggedy I don't like him and I'm like mama (laughs) I remember telling my mom I was like mom he probably was raised the same way yeah and she's like that still don't make no I said I agree but at the same time (laughs) he's probably because we used to watch it together when I lived in Louisiana so and I remember her being like, that don't make no sense. And I'm like, yeah, but like a lot of times people do the things that, learned behavior, <laughs> like yeah. learned behavior. Yeah. He's probably, grandfather character is probably acting the way that his dad treated him mm-hmm. or his mom, mm-hmm. whomever. And he's just basing it all around. Oh, he was also an alcoholic. Yeah. And that, I mean, it's it, it, like, you're right. Okay. So, how, I, you know, so much of this is genetic uh, in mm. the way that we deal with things and cope and just the way our brains are wired, but so much of this is also environmental and just yep. watching how your parents or, you know, the people who've raised you like cope with things mm-hmm. and um, abusive tactics. I mean, whether that's physical abuse, um, verbal abuse, and sadly, sexual abuse is often generational. Yep. It is passed down. We see mm-hmm. people repeat those patterns. And um, obviously, when we're adults and we engage in, in a, you know, obviously very unhealthy, <laughs> illegal, you know, toxic behaviors, is that, you know, does that excuse anything? No, but having mm-hmm. the context of what has happened in their life uh, helps us understand. And that's why bringing it up verbally and talking about these things is so important to break those patterns. Because the more that um, that is kept under wraps, the the more risk there is of it repeating that cycle. Mm-hmm. And considering to one of the things I've heard commonly within my own community, being you know black people, mm-hmm. where there's been this like, okay, somebody's going through something. Let's say one person has gone through something traumatic within their family system. Um, and they're telling someone about it, like a friend, I don't know, mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. they're expressing it to their sibling or something. And their siblings like, well, I didn't do that because, mm-hmm. and I went through the same thing. Yes. Mm-hmm. Considering that no two people are going to navigate process hell experience their trauma Mm -hmm. the same way no two Mm -hmm. people and so you could go through the same thing as a person sitting next to you and there may be a lot of commonalities and there may be a lot of differences and understanding like the way the person processes it is based around so many different factors 
Yeah, I, I'm so glad you brought that up. And I guess this is just about trauma in general, because I think that's often a conversation that's brought up with people. And I hate to say this, but particularly white people where, mm-hmm. you know, they'll talk about, um, well, I don't understand why, you know, this and insert ethnic minority group here feels that way about this thing. If that would happen to me, I wouldn't mm-hmm. feel that way. Yeah. And, you know, whatever, maybe it's a discriminatory thing, or maybe someone makes a verbal comment. Um, you know, maybe someone says a racial slur, a lot of, I've, I've been in so many conversations where people are like, well, if they just said that to me, I just be like, you know, oh, forget them and walk away or something. I wouldn't get that upset because they're just jerks. And I'm like, well, and in my mind, and I don't know if this is correct or not. I'm like, well, I think you have that thought process because you haven't dealt with the generational trauma that that word or that that experience you know it's easy to say that when you haven't gone through it um and then you're right the to to continue the point that you brought up of you know some people can go through the same things and have different reactions Mm -hmm. um some people trauma is not you could go through a car accident and I can go through a car accident and we're going to manage that completely different ways. So Mm -hmm. just because we manage it doesn't mean the trauma didn't happen, but we all just deal with it in different ways. Um, And some people develop PTSD and some people don't. And then I think some people, you know, yeah. Like, so if a white person were to experience some type of um, I don't know, I don't know, some type of discrimination or, or, um, I don't even know what that could look like, but just some type of experience that would be perceived traumatic. Maybe they wouldn't walk away with the same experience that a minority person or a man wouldn't experience something that a woman would experience things like that. So it's important. All that context matters. Mm-hmm. I don't know. If that makes sense, no, but. it does. It absolutely <laughs> does. It does. And I like what you mentioned, the, the first piece that you were bringing up um, to kind of like add to that when it comes to historical things within, you know, our, to our knowledge, the things that people have experienced within, the, mm-hmm. if we just look at America alone, um, mm-hmm. if you're being called a racial slur. Right. Or someone's making a comment about something that is culturally sensitive is something that may be based around oppression. Mm -hmm. And one thing we should never do is tell someone to take that lightly because you don't know, because we don't know what the experience has been before that. You know, you could be telling someone, you could be speaking to someone, a a minority um, Mm -hmm. and expressing to them, you know, something that, Something that, like I said, is based around oppression. It could be something very light. It could be a microaggression. Mm-hmm. It could be as far as a racial slur. Mm-hmm. And to tell someone like, hey, shrug, you know, who cares what they say? Or I would just, you know, take it, take it on the cheek and call it a day. Okay. Mm-hmm. You never know what a person's background is within that. Their, their ancestors may have gone through some things okay like you don't know and so it's like some people and people's experiences are different within that because some of us are taught from the time that we're little bitty this is the type of things that could could happen these are the things that could be said to you um and there's been a lot of conversations surrounding that and we've talked about that on the show before where it's like 
you know, we learn certain things as ethnic minorities growing up mm-hmm. that white counterparts may not, you know, have had right. to have conversations with their parents about. And you have every right to feel the way that you do. And I think a lot of times people have a supercharged response to things because they may know exactly what their grandfather went through mm-hmm. or their grandmother mm-hmm. or their great grandmother or their great uncle. Um, and so it may hold a lot of weight. And you even notice when people are standing up, you know, fighting for their rights as individuals and expressing the things that they feel they need when it comes to their culture or their race or their gender. Mm-hmm. It, it's gonna have some type of historical context behind it. Yes. Always. Mm-hmm. And so that just to kind of like give an idea of how important this specific branch of the trauma tree yeah how important it is it's so significant um for most individuals I mean in any way and it's important to understand you know how these types of things can influence your life Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. absolutely mm-hmm. Yeah, and so it seems like, I mean, we're kind of on the same page of like just bringing all of this to light and having a historical, or like you said, having historical, having familial context is so important. So talking about this seems like it's, you know, a step that leaders of the family should be taking. Mm -hmm. Um, And so just thinking about, okay, one, how can, okay, so we talked about what all this can look like and what can inform transgenerational trauma and according to the articles I've kind of read it seems like some signs of this and while it's not like it's not in the DSM you can't really like diagnose someone with this but some things to notice can be like anxiety depression PTSD mm-hmm. hypervigilance all um all of these things um can be a sign that um one has experienced this type of trauma right mm-hmm. and then um starting to talk about okay what can what can one do to heal through this. We've mentioned several times, bringing this to light, talking about it with family members. And of course, I think most things are able to be discussed in a very age appropriate way. You know, not everything Mm -hmm. has to be laid out on the table, um, you know, for a five-year-old, but maybe as, (laughs) (laughs) maybe as the, you know, a child grows up or gets older, um, being able to address whatever that concern is, at, you know, as they get older in an age appropriate way, I think is beneficial, especially if it's something that is really affecting the family. I don't, maybe that means like an absentee parent, like maybe it's just mom, maybe it's just dad and being able to explain to the child why that is, or talking about death, talking about illness, you know, all of these things um, I think can be discussed and, you know, throughout a child's life to give them context and to help them understand what's going on. Um, and then let's see here. It talks about breaking in, um, embedded patterns or attitudes or narratives. And that reminds me of just what we talked about earlier, like mm-hmm. that cultural learning. Like I think yeah. of like, you know, especially like in Latino culture, I, that's what comes to mind for me when I hear that. Um, and then let's see, of course it says go to therapy, think about alternative ways of coping and communicating. Um, oh, and then I love this. Um, the Psychology Today article talks about um, developing empathy and compassion for your struggle they've endured. I love that so much. 
Um, and then lastly, it says recreate a new narrative that you want your children to embody. Um, so kind of recreating that narrative. So like if there is trauma or distress, how can you know, your family honor that and have empathy for your family's struggles, but also be able to like move forward and have like a healthier family system. I just think that's so beautiful. I do too. I do too. I love that article. Um, mm -hmm. That was so nice. And that kind of brings back the point that we were making earlier, you know, having empathy and understanding, but something that just came to me is based around expectations and boundaries when it comes to trauma work mm -hmm. when it comes to a familiar like a family system so understanding that one you may be ready to work through the trauma mm -hmm. you cannot fully expect other people to be prepared to work through it and mm -hmm. if there is like a full-on resistance giving people mm -hmm. the space communicating what it is that you're working through and understanding you having placing really high expectations or or just feeling like that okay well I'm working through it so mom you got to work through it too if mom is not if mom is in a space where she's not full-on ready to do it you can't necessarily force her to and so you doing the work that you can because the work definitely needs to be done on an individual basis and also on a family basis but sometimes in many situations I've seen where individual may be ready but family may not so knowing your boundaries within that and how to navigate it you can still love your people and let them know you know okay when this comes up this is the space where you know i i need to exit or um i don't feel comfortable talking about this with you um whatever it may be like th those types of things are so necessary to consider because of course we want kumbaya love beautiful skip around the the, the bush and just be happy as all get out you know mm -hmm. but at the same time that is not always what we're going to be met with when we're ready to do the work. So patience right. is very important mm -hmm. in understanding that, you know, sometimes we may be so excited about the work. That brings me back to Dr. Emerson back in school. Mm -hmm. when he used to say, you're going to learn things. Mm -hmm. Okay. You're going to learn things. You're going to notice things and you can't expect other people to do the same. Right. Exactly. Yes. in a circle mm -hmm. I'm glad you brought that up I'm glad you brought up that you know your family may not be ready and I think mm -hmm. that is something I deal with with so many of my clients they're trying to break these family patterns they're trying to navigate things differently than their their mom and dad or you know just their extended family system um and it's challenging because yeah. a lot of people I talk about this this is so systems um theory of like you know, you are throwing a wrench within the system and the system doesn't like that. They are comfortable with where they are. You know, Ooh. they function, they've been even if it is uncomfortable, it's still comfortable because it's familiar. Yeah. Uh, familiar. Yep. And, so, um, and so I'm glad you brought up that point of like, just because you're ready doesn't mean everyone else will. And, you know, hopefully there will be um, willing participants within the system to join you in that work. And maybe that does mean going to family therapy. And like, even if it's with a sibling, you know, maybe it's not with parents, maybe it's with a sibling, maybe it's with your spouse, maybe it's with your children. Um, and just being able to bring these things forward. Um, but yeah, you might be met with resistance. And like, that's part of the process sometimes and that's okay. Um, creating compassion and empathy like the article talks about um, can hopefully be helpful if you do have to navigate it alone, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes, it doesn't take is. away 
mean, but it, yeah. it can be helpful. Yeah. It can. And I think keeping in mind all the time, people are doing the best they can with what they've got. <laughs> yes, always. You're doing the best you can may look a lot more complex, colorful, mm-hmm. um, introspective than your mother, than your father, than your cousin, than your granny. It may look different than those people's experience. And that is okay. You can do the individual work and have compassion for the people you love at the same time. Even if they have wronged you, even if they've taught you something that you maybe it it was a better way to learn it. So Mm -hmm. always, always keep in mind, boundaries are important. Boundaries can be fueled by love. I think people hear boundaries and be like, oh, that's mean. No, boundaries can be fueled by love. Exactly. Love for self, love for your, your family, love for your partner, Mm -hmm. love for your friends. Like Mm -hmm. you can, you can set boundaries with people by letting them know this is what I need. And I think it would Mm -hmm. be helpful to you too. So this is how we're going to navigate things right now. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. So yeah, I'll leave y'all with that. We'll leave y'all with that kind of feel. Yeah. I love this conversation because I just feel like I don't know. For me, I feel like even though I don't use the term generational trauma, so like, you know, I don't really use that terminology or anything Mm -hmm. like that. I think the way I view the world is so systemic and um, I don't see how you can't bring the family or like your community into your process. You know what I mean? Absolutely. All the time. Like that is such a part of us. So even if it's not just immediate family, like where you grew up, what your friends went through, what their families were going through, especially in a collectivistic kind of nature, if it was an impoverished area or an area that had a natural disaster or whatever. Um, gosh, we have to pay attention to that. And so I, mm-hmm. I just love this. I love this stuff. I love this conversation. I do too. <laughs> and I'm glad that we didn't. Something that's so important to remember is like, we may not have hit a lot of the examples because right. I think like if we look at Louisiana alone, whoo, Chile. Oh okay. my gosh, it's here. Well, and even, uh, yeah, yeah. Katrina. The pandemic. The pandemic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, the, looking at just, you know, so many different things that have happened globally. Yeah. And within smaller communities, within states, within cities, within mm-hmm. counties, parishes. Shout out to home. I miss home. If y'all can't tell, I keep mentioning. <laughs> I love my, I love where I'm from. Well, no, we have been through so much. Too. So yes, much. I mean, just historically too, just with our, just even culturally, the culturally. mixing of all of our cultures and, mm-hmm. and yeah, it's, I can't even put it into words, but you're, I yeah, agree with you. Just walking through, like, I, I remember talking to a client who went to Louis, to New Orleans. Mm-hmm. And this person's not from Louisiana. So I'm like, and even just talking to people. And when we start talking about the French Quarter. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. And all of the history within that area mm-hmm. alone and all of the little mm-hmm. like plaques and different explanations yes. of things about Spanish rule, French rule, like. Mm-hmm. And just even how we look at death, you yes, know, at home. Yeah. death is such a part of our culture. And mm-hmm. um, I mean, we've you know yes you're right we've had so many um occupancies in our area we've had um and then of course slavery plantations um how we honor death then natural disasters and just spirituality we have so much religion informed like you know religion Mm -hmm. informs so much of our culture and our practices even if Mm -hmm. we're not practicing that religion yes um, like Mardi Gras. I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like and, Mardi and it still affects our generations you know to this day so mm-hmm. I think yeah 
Yeah. It's easy. It's like when you're, I think when you're in environments like that, and I wonder if like even like New England and stuff feels that way yeah, too, like probably so much history has happened. It lives and breathes in like that community. Okay. So okay. I think it's hard to miss when you're from an area like that, you know? Yeah. And I even think about like Oklahoma and yes, the indigenous folks. Yes, indigenous, but then bombing and all of that. That oh, we I remember that like it was yesterday, and so it's so many different, different mm-hmm. things to consider when it comes to generational mm-hmm. trauma and just mm-hmm. like the different levels that it shows up. So yeah, this was really I love this conversation too, Marcella. Yeah. I'm with you on that. Um, super necessary. Looking at it at all levels. Or maybe like reflecting on that, you know, like where do you see it show up within your life? You know, Mm -hmm. it's kind of got me thinking for myself, like, okay, where do I see it showing up? Um, Maybe, you know, for people to advocate for that within their own therapy, you know, if you are not talking about these things, you can always ask your therapist to create some space for that. And um, yeah, just kind of begin that process. And that could even just be like a little genogram, you know, just mapping mm -hmm. out and just talking about what you notice, like Ava brought up earlier. So, you know, start there, start there, ask questions. If you feel comfortable asking people in your family, um, you know, and, and that can be, maybe that'll be of the beginning of your journey and some of your healing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think a lot of folks are surprised when they start doing the work, you know, like yes. Yes. when they start seeing the different pieces that mm-hmm. show up. So yeah, thank y'all for this. And I'm glad we held some space to talk about this yeah. one. Um, so moving on to the next piece, certainly looking forward to this, what has been mm-hmm. feeding our souls, sprinkled yeah. in, ding, ding, ding. so <laughs> for you, do you know what yours is today for here lately? Well, the first thing that comes to mind is Christmas always because I love Christmas and the Same. holidays and mm-hmm. I'm, I, but you know what too it's hard for me the older I get it's harder to create some of that space to like watch I love the movies you know me I love the movies so like I love <laughs> watching cheesy Hallmark movies and drinking like the cozy drinks and looking at the lights and yes. so I mean I think last year was kind of it was hard to feel connected just because we were in, especially in our area in a resurgence of the pandemic. And um, it was really heavy. It was just a really heavy time, mm-hmm. especially for our state, just because Louisiana has been hit so hard with it. Um, so this year right now, because, <laughs> well, because most of our state has had COVID all of us are pretty good right now <laughs> or have been vaccinated. So it's not, we're not having the surgeons that the Midwest is. Um, so I'm trying to get back in the spirit, trying to like, just have some space for that and have some coziness and things to look forward to and time with family. And um, I, it's hard to get into the practice. Cause I think I'm just like, I don't know why I'm just feeling a little hesitant. Maybe it's just getting older and maybe it's also just, you know, dealing with last year and hardships we've all been through. But I I, I love seeing like, I'm just love seeing the gathering and the gathering of people. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I just hope that gets to continue. So I'm like kind of cautiously optimistic and that's kind of cautiously feeding my soul. (laughs) Okay. Cautiously feeding. I like that. Yeah. Well, but it's true. I feel you on that. Christmas is feeling a lot more Christmas this year. 
I hope, yeah, and I hope that like continues yeah, like as we're going like through that. December. Yeah, mm-hmm. I don't know when this episode will be released, but it's Christmas now. If you're listening to it, right, <laughs> right, yeah, we're we're figuring out our release schedule. We're we're practicing <laughs> different different tactics yeah. and strategies this time. I love that though. I agree, Christmas. I've been liking being in the stores and seeing all the like decorations and stuff and. My yeah. son loves a Christmas tree. Like anytime he sees Aww, a good, big, thick, strong, decorated Christmas tree, he's just like, oh, wow. And just like, gets so excited. Um, that is so, so it's cool seeing that. Yeah. Because he didn't know he last year. No. At all. No, no. no. he was too little. He was, he was too little. little. He was just almost one. He's just like, well, okay, cool. It moves. It's the snowman that moves. Now he's running from the snowman that moves. So he's not really a fan of like the battery powered <laughs> dancing snowman in Santa Claus. And he's like, I don't know about this. <laughs> yes, he's in that little phase where he understands, like, I don't think that should be doing that. Um, that is so funny. I think so. I remember telling, telling you, I, I wanted to talk about Bluey and I can't remember if I talked about Bluey already. No, on here. No, no. Okay. Y'all. So Bluey is a children's show that has been feeding my soul. Y'all know I love a good cartoon, but this is like, you know, this isn't on Steven universe level. This is like, um, this is preschool age, like small children, but apparently there's a huge community of, parents who love bluey yeah. probably more than their children do that is so and funny. i must say i think i'm one of those parents yeah. because it's such a lovely show about these this family of four and their australian red and blue healer dogs <laughs> and they act like humans which is cute so and they cute. live in australia and um, and it sucks because season three is coming out in Australia and they have to mm-hmm. like go through a whole uh, yeah. releasing of the season, which Bluey has like 50 episodes per season. And the episodes are like eight minutes long. So it's not. Oh, wow. It's not a big deal. That's it's like sure. they'll have. Yeah, they'll have like three different shorts within an episode of Bluey, like on Disney Junior. So mm-hmm. I have my faves. There is one in particular that I absolutely love this episode called baby race so sweet so it's about the mom chili is the goat chili's best mom of the decade (laughs) and she's a dog a cartoon fictional dog chili um talks about she's teaching and all the episodes are like this she's teaching bluey you don't always have to be the best at everything so like Mm -hmm. let people have the space to do what they need to do um, everything's not a race and Bluey's like what does that mean mm-hmm. and the sister bingo favorite character yeah what's that and so they like she teaches them about her experience being a new mom of Bluey and going to these mommy groups with the other dog moms and <laughs> and the little puppies and one of the kids one of the babies that was in the group with her and Bluey was walking sooner than Bluey was doing everything quicker than Bluey was and so she's like am I doing what I need to do as a mom to make sure my kid is developing the way that they need to and so she felt really discouraged and so it takes like other moms to come to her and be like you're doing great like there's a whole scene I I cried (laughs) the there's a character named Coco and her mom and they're pink poodles like fuchsia color Marcella you would love it because you're a dog person you would love it (laughs) yes because and they also what's so intentional about the show is they make the different breeds because 
all the like there's so many different breeds of dogs and so they make them kind of match the temperament or the like the personality of the yeah. dog like yeah yeah so Coco's mom is like telling Chili like hey you're doing great mm-hmm. this is your first baby I have like 10 <laughs> she has like 10 little poodles and Coco's oh. <laughs> And she's like, you're doing a great job. Like, it's fine. And so she really needed that. And then she realized, like, let me just, let me just let her do her thing. I'm doing the best I can. She, you start to see her move within that. And she like relaxes some. And that's something that a lot of new moms go through. I know I went through it where I'm like, is he doing everything the way he's It's normal though. And so at the end of the episode, Bluey finally learns to walk. My goodness, Marcella. And it's, it's like narrated by Chili telling the story. And one day you just walked in the kitchen and then Bluey said, why did I start walking in the kitchen? And bingo, the sister's like, maybe you saw something you wanted. She's walking mm-hmm. to her mom. Oh, that is so beautiful. <laughs> Y'all, this is a cartoon. <laughs> why is it so, so, and when I tell you like, there's probably, there's just a ton of episodes that just like make, humans feel seen yeah yeah and yeah it seems it. like it really is well you know cartoons too they a lot of them are so much geared Love to it. parents and adults and in mm-hmm. some funny ways and some kind of weird ways or but it's good that they are like it's yeah it's for y'all too because I mean what babies are watching this they're not taking in all of the all of the context so it's good that y'all like it that's so sweet I absolutely love it Dijon will even say like this is a really good show and there's like something that's like one of my favorites but Oliver's favorite is like the octopus episode where the parents start acting like octopi and they're like playing it's like a game like they show all these different ways to play with your children different games you can play so it's just like a really thorough beautiful lovely just the writing is great the characters are phenomenal. It's good. It's like lessons all up in it. And that's like my, one of my absolute faves. That's good. It's good when you like the show that your kid likes. Yes, because I can't do the cocoa melons. Everyone I talk to says they hate the cocoa melon and they're trying to avoid it. So <laughs> my cocoa melon. <laughs> I can't do it. And some of the other ones too. I'm like, okay, this is all right. But I love the yeah. fact that Oliver literally sits still. Like we're both sitting together watching Aww, Bluey. He, he I think it's the animation too, because it's just so beautiful yeah. and clear and colorful and simple um, and dreamy. Even the music on the show yeah. is beautiful. So yeah, it's just, it's a phenomenal television program for children. And it has been feeding my soul for like the whole year. Oh, I'm glad. Since he started I'm watching glad. it. That was so cute. <laughs> Fell in love. His birthday is going to be bluey. Like everything's just. Oh, that's so sweet. And they're sisters. I love that too because I went through watching the show for probably a whole month and then I realized Bluey's a girl. That's like with Blue's Clues. Blue's Clues, Blue is a girl. Blue is a girl. I think. Yeah. She is. I don't know. Which is cool. It's fine, but it was confusing because we're used to the blue being the boys, you know? That's so sweet. Well, I'm glad that that has been getting you through and that you like it. I love it so much. It's so good. I know. It seems like you're getting a lot out of it, which is sweet. Yes. And he loves it. He'll look at me and like start smiling if something funny happens. Like, that was funny, huh? It was funny. And it's quality time with your little boy. It is. It is. And he continues to watch it. So, yeah, that's mine. Um, 
So yeah, we got some heartfelt stuff going on. The Christmas and the Bluey. Yes. Oh, they have two. They also have two Christmas episodes of Bluey that are really good too. That's sweet. Yeah, yeah those are really great. We're gonna watch them together, probably like Christmas Day. Everybody gonna be like, turn it off. <laughs> you watch that all the time. Um. So yeah, you guys think about what's been feeding your soul here lately in these times, and yes, take good care of yourself. Hopefully good things. Hopefully, good things to come absolutely i think there will be let's hope for it um well, so all yeah right yeah we'll we be, back. be back soon. we'll be back soon with episode five yes and we will be that's kind of like our wrapping up period right let me see what we got close to it because okay that one is going to be based around like trauma and recovery so like okay the recovery from trauma um okay. all those implications that we've already hit on but we'll go into more detail yeah we'll go into more detail and then you know we'll have our last episode of the trauma season which will be based around like treatment um different types of yeah. methods to you know heal from the trauma and learn how to navigate life after trauma all right all right guys so we'll see y'all later Talk see y'all later, later. Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>